All right. Amen. You may be seated. If you want to grab your Bible and turn it to the book of Jude, chapter 6, I'd appreciate that. And uh, we're going to dig right into the Word uh, this morning. I wanted to let you know that all of the notes are online. And uh, if you uh, want to get a hold of those, um, Jude 3, I meant. Uh, if you want to get a hold of those notes, they're available at our website, agchurch.net. And uh, you can go right there. And uh, actually, if you want to take them and preach them somewhere and tell everybody that you got them yourself, that don't bother me at all. And uh, amen. Because I know I didn't learn all this stuff that I know by myself. Somebody else learned that and passed it on. And so uh, I just encourage you that uh, to, you know, I believe absolutely that we need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that need not be ashamed. We've been talking about the word of the Lord for this year. And that is contending or fighting at the door of faith. And uh, your faith is going to be paramount this year for you. Uh, how you deal with things. I mean, already, like just just this morning, they're starting to put out now, and you'll hear it today when you go home, or you'll hear it tonight, that they're starting to worry about attacks in the United States. You need to use your faith. Don't just trust your weapons, okay? I, you know, I have weapons too, but don't just trust, you know, the Bible says there are those who trust in chariots, and there are those who trust in the name of the Lord. Now look, it doesn't say we shouldn't have chariots. It just says we should trust in the name of the Lord. Amen. Psalm 91 still works. Can you say amen? amen. And if we're not releasing our faith, fear, will, fear is waiting at the door. It waits there. And I'll talk to you today about some of the adversaries that we'll face and things that we'll deal with. But, you know, we want to continue to build our faith. Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, it says... Fight the good fight of faith. Your fight, that's where your battle is, is in your, is in your faith. Everything the enemy wants you to do is to get you focused on the outside, and that's where your fight is. Your fight is your faith inside because your faith is your connection to the Word of God, which is your connection to the will of God. Because faith begins where the will of God is known. What is God's will for your life. What is God's will for your life? And when we know that, then we have faith. And that's how we pray. We pray according to his will. First John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, which would mean according to his word, right? According to his will, then we know that we have the petition that we have desired of him. So we have a confidence that we live our lives with that a person who does not have God in their lives cannot have or a person who is ignorant of what God has provided for them. Amos said it like this, uh, speaking for God. My children suffer for a lack of knowledge because they don't know that you don't have to suffer. That faith will help propel you forward. Say this out loud. My faith, My faith will propel me, will me forward. forward. What your faith is, is like nitrous oxide in the tank. It takes you, you all know what nitrous oxide is? So you know, if, if you've ever watched any of the Fast and Furious movies, you know they, that's a big deal in those movies. And I, even though they're all unrealistic, it's still, the idea is, is that you're going at the maximum that the, the, the vehicle you have can go. Right. 
You're going at the maximum. You're pushing it to the limit. But when you push that button and the nitrous oxide kicks in, you're now causing it to exceed what it can do. I don't want to just do what I can do. I want to exceed into the supernatural realm what God can do. Can you say amen? amen? So your faith is the nitrous oxide of the kingdom. It's what, it's what propels you for it's what It'll jumpstart things that are stuck. It'll move them quicker forward. It'll take you out of moving at, a, at one pace and move you to an entirely different pace in your life. And that's in every realm. That's in your health, healing. That's in your financial prosperity. That's in your safety and protection. It's all the, your family. It is what faith does in our lives. That's why Jesus talks so much about faith in the scriptures. That your faith is like all you need is a little, a little bit. And if you have a little bit, it will propel you forward from where you are. Amen? So we want to build our faith. We want great faith. We want to increase our faith. And I don't have time to get into this today. But the greatest faith is understanding the authority of the word. That's the greatest faith. At least that's what Jesus taught. And that's what he said. The greatest faith is understanding that when the word is spoken with the authority that is behind that word, that is greater than if the person was here speaking it right in front of you. Amen. So Jude, chapter 3, he says that, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly... Seriously, for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he begins to talk about these people that have come in and are trying to corrupt the faith, that are trying to pull the faith aside. And actually, if you go down to um, go down a little further to verse 11, he talks about, he says, Woe to these who are corruptors, because what they have done is they have gone in the way of Cain. And if you want to write these down, we'll go back over them. The way of Cain... They have run greedily and the heir of Balaam for profit, and they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. So he's saying that, look, these things that you're, as you're contending for your faith, these are the things that are out there that are going to be standing at the door of faith to stop you from going forward. Remember, we talked about we're standing at the door. That This is the year 5784 in the Hebrew calendar. And that means that it is the door of opportunity for God's people. There's a door of opportunity. So new doors are going to open. You're going to contend at those doors to whether you're going to move forward uh, in faith. So he says, woe, because they've gone in the way of Cain, they've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now there's a thought in the kingdom of God that says that, well, if God said it, and I receive it and believe it, that will settle it. Well, the truth is, is, is that we should add one more phrase to that, and that is, is that if God said it, and I believe it and receive it in my life, and I will f- stand firm upon what is said, I will receive it. The challenge that we face in our lives is, is that we're going to be challenged to not stand firm. I mean, you go to a word church, you, you can't, we're not preaching the doctrines of you know, religion here. We're preaching the word. And what we tell you is the word of God. We're telling you what, what will build faith in your life. But 
it's not that we don't receive that. And I know you hear those words. But the thing is, is that what the enemy does is, is that I only have you for a short period of time here. When you leave here, you're contending for the faith. You're contending for what you heard. Remember, in the Bible, it talked about, we looked at this last week, that what happens in Mark, he told us in Mark 4, that when the word goes out, people receive that word with gladness, but only endure for a while. Do you remember why? Because they have no root in themselves, their identification. They don't know who they are. And so when it comes to the pressure and tribulation of the day, they... They, they wilt away. They melt out. They, they give up because, not because, uh, they give up because of the word that they have received. Jesus also talked about how that there, is, there are things that will choke the word in your life. If you look at Mark 4, 19, he said, In the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things will enter in and choke the word. And, and so if you will, just think this thought with me. These things, the, the desire of other things, enter in and choke your faith. And choke your faith. These are things that will choke out your faith. And so he talks about here the way of Cain. He talks about the heir the, the of Balaam. And he talks about the rebellion of Korah. Do you see that there? And I know we, I think we've got some notes for you guys. So let's talk about what the way of Cain was. Now Cain's testimony and verse uh, three it says and in the process of time four three it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord and there have been those who have said well you know Abel brought an actual blood sacrifice and Cain brought vegetables and so that was why God didn't receive his offering well that would be true unless you had what the book of Hebrews teaches us in chapter 11, in verse 4, where it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice in Cain, than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. So why is it that Abel's was received and Cain's was not? Because Cain did not bring his in faith. Abel brought his. It was by faith that Abel, Abel offered up his sacrifice to the Lord. Cain, on the other hand, brought his sacrifice just to do it because that's what was required of him. Okay? And verse 4 of Genesis 4, 4, Genesis 4 says, And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Well, immediately what happens is, is that Cain, he's angry at God, but what does he do? He thinks of how to hurt his brother. And he waits for his opportunity. And you know the test of the story from Scripture that he kills his brother, right? What is it that killed what is it that killed Abel? It was the fact that Cain was coveting what Abel experienced. Cain was coveting what Abel experienced. And he was mad at God. Cain was mad at God because God did not give him the same experience. That Abel had. And that's covetousness. And remember this about covetousness. You know, that's the, the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness is the gateway sin to all other sins. When we start coveting what other people have, it's at that moment 
that we begin to open up the door for all of the other sins to come into our life. It's that jealousy that exists that someone has something that I don't have. Or someone is experiencing something that I don't have. And it's worse today than ever. It's worse today than ever because we have Facebook or Instagram or X or Twitter or whatever it's called today. And uh, so because of that, we see what other people, even more so, we see what other people have. Now, it used to be you only knew what people have as you drove by their house or you saw the car that they drove. But now we see like, well, people went to Disney or people went this place or they went that place and, or they're on the beach. And we all take selfies, right, because we want, you know, we want to share the experience with other people. And a lot of people go, man, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And there are others that go, why can't I have that kind of an experience? And that begins to open, that begins to wedge in at the door of covetousness, wanting what someone else has. Now, here's a real powerful thought that goes with this. And I don't have this for you uh, this morning for your notes, but, but I want you to think about this. The combat from God to covetousness is contentment. Because he tells us that we should, in Timothy, we should have godliness with contentment. Now, contentment is what I say in my life is is that this is what I have right now, and this is what I can do right now, and this is what I can experience right now, and so I'm going to be thankful for what I have, not for what I don't have, or be angry about what I don't have, or be angry that you have something that I don't have. And that's what opened the door for Cain. And it still exists today. There are all kinds of jealousy. I've seen it with with ministries. I've seen it in churches. I've seen it with minister to minister. I've seen it it in businesses. I do some stuff, some coaching outside in some business. You see those jealousies that exist. And so what what we try to do and what, what the world's way of trying to combat that covetousness is to, to combat that is socialism. Right? So we give everybody the same thing, which is an absolute lie. Because if you ever look at any of the socialist systems, it's the people at the top that have the stuff and everybody at the bottom is splitting up what's left over. That's good preaching, Pastor. No, it's, it's true. So we try to naturally in our world think... And, and we do this on a lot of different levels. So, you know, if you work in a company and they give you a better raise than what they gave everyone else because your work excelled everyone else, if anybody finds out about it, they're going to be ticked off that they didn't get the same raise that you got. That's the world we live in. Our schools got into giving participation trophies. We're not going to celebrate what somebody did. We're going to say, everybody did great. Well, everybody doesn't do great. <laughs> right? And so, the, so it doesn't really battle covetousness because covetousness is there. It's just latched on to something to feel like it's satisfied, which is false. It's a lie. Socialism is a lie. It's an absolute. It does not work. Okay. There, you go anywhere in the world, you'll find, you will not, I've been all over the world, you can't find a place socialism is working. It doesn't work. 
because the people at the top are greedy usually and they take all the wealth and then they split it up among you guys at the bottom. Someone one time tried to tell me, well, Jesus was a socialist. I said, uh, no, he was not. There's a thing about it that says that he was a socialist. There's a thing about his life. He didn't say everybody should have the same stuff. He said there are rewards. The minute you say there are rewards, you can't be a socialist anymore. All right. So jealousy. Jealousy begins to enter in. These are things that will rob your faith. Because what does jealousy open up the door to? Jealousy in our lives, covetousness, jealousy, opens up the door in our lives to offense. We become offended. And when we become offended, we become unforgiving. And so when we become unforgiving, our faith ceases to work. That was at least worth the price of admission today. See, worldliness measures value by a world standard. Who has the most wealth, who has the most stuff, who has the most, you know, Instagram followers, who has the most Facebook followers, who has the biggest church. You know, and I still, when I get together with people, they'll say, well, how big is your church? How big exactly is your church? And I like what one pastor said. Uh, they said, how big is your church? And he said, 50 people. They said, you got to be kidding me. I heard you had 500. He says, well, we have 500 attenders, but we have 50 people. Because they do all the work and they do all the giving and they do. <laughs> you guys are those 50 people, right? But you see how true that can be in, in a situation. But that's what happens. How big is this? Because we measure everything in a worldly standard. And say, well, how big? How many souls did you lead to the Lord? All these measurements. And I don't have an issue with metrics. I'm just saying that when we begin to measure other people's metrics so we can measure our metrics, now we're in covetousness. So I say, how much money do you make? And you say, well, I make this amount. And I go, wow. And now I'm measuring myself because I'm saying, I make more money than you do. So what's the thought? I'm better than you are, right? Or if I make less than you, then what's the thought? I'm not as good as you are, obviously. It's not fair, right? It's not fair. See, that's coveted. And, that's, and what it does is, is that it's a contender. See, the enemy is not stupid. I know a lot of people talk about the devil's stupid. He's not stupid. The enemy knows the kinds of things that will trap you. And these are things that will trap your faith, Okay? You know, and it works in every realm, and I, hopefully I can get through all of this. But So, you know, let's say you're believing for healing. And you will inevitably hear about somebody that was believing for healing for what you're dealing with and got an answer like that. And if you don't watch out, what will happen is you'll measure yourself by what they experience. And when you measure yourself by what they experience, it begins to hinder your faith and begins to stop your faith. Because now you're starting to think that God has been unfair to you because you're having to battle out every day and get in the Word and do all these things. You know, it's like my alcoholism. I'm telling you, man, when I was battling alcoholism, I'd hear testimonies about people would go to meetings and the pastor would pray over them and all the spirits would leave and they would be totally free and never drank again, never did drugs again. My story was not like that. 
My story was that every morning I got up at 5 a.m. in the morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, and I would read my Bible, and that God put me on a journey to read 10 chapters a day every single morning. And that event, eventually, after about six, seven months of doing that, that this, I noticed in my life that I no longer had the desire to drink. I got delivered from it, from the alcohol. Now, it would be wrong, and it would be covetousness for me to say, God, that's not fair. You did me this way, and you're doing them that way. That's the way of Cain. And we're not going around killing people, you know. But maybe in our heart we are a little bit. Well, their kids all got saved, and that's just not right. You know, I, I mean, I deal with preachers, you know, that, that they'll say, my kids have all grown up in the church, they're all living for God today, and they're all preachers and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, well, that's not my story. That's not your story. Most of us, that's not our story. There are some of us, you know, that that is your story. But see, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what someone else's story is and what your story is. Your story is your story. That's how God is working through your life. And you can either get better working through it or you can get bitter by what you're dealing with. I choose to get better. Amen. I choose that I'm going to get better whatever I'm in financially, whatever physically, whatever I'm going through relationally. I'm going to get better. I'm not going to allow covetousness to make me bitter. Because when I get bitter, my faith stops working. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to have happen in your life. So stop comparing... Stop comparing yourself. And if you can't stop yourself with Facebook, get off Facebook. Shut it off. Just d- delete your account. You're not missing anything. Amen. You're not missing a single thing. So, or Instagram or any of the other things. So, you know, this is, the, this is what the enemy tries to do. And it's, it really is, if you think about it, it's what Jesus talked about that chokes the word. It's a care of the world. It's something that the world cares about. The world cares about wealth. The world cares about what you have. The world cares about how big your house is or how big your church is. God doesn't, isn't, God cares about your obedience. <laughs> God cares about your obedience. He cares about you, your heart, right? He's after your heart. He wants you to follow him from a, from a right attitude. He said if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. You've got to have a right heart for that. That's what God is after. And it's not on how awesome your vehicle is. That's you. That's your thinking. You're putting those parameters on you. Don't do that to yourself. Enjoy what you have. Amen? Amen. Believe for better? Absolutely. But when we believe for better because we're dissatisfied with what we have, then we are now violating our faith. Moving right along. So the way of Cain. This is a big one. It's a big one. The heir of Balaam. We talked about the heir of Balaam. If you read your Bible and you go into the Old Testament, you read about Balaam. And Balaam had an attitude that he was going to find a way to get around what was going on. God had told him not to curse Israel, but he found a way to curse Israel. He just, did, uh, he just found a, a, a loophole. 
a way that he could circumvent what God's plan. God said, you will bless them. Balak, the king, said, I want you to curse them. I'll pay you money to do it. He says, I can't curse what God has blessed. Absolutely. But then he said, here's what we'll do. Because I can't curse what God has blessed, Balaam came up with a plan and said, let's put people around them that are against God, and eventually they'll infiltrate that society of people, and they'll corrupt their morals and corrupt their values. Because remember, when we were taught this as kids, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. So the error of Balaam is compromise. Is compromise. Revelation tells us in chapter 2, we were just looking at this the other night, verses 13 through 15, that it says there are those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit, commit sexual immorality. So when we talk about this spirit, you know, obviously the book of Revelation is way down the line from what was going on with the Old Testament with Balaam and Balak, but, but, but this, the attitude and the mentality still exists to this day and will exist till the end of the world. And that is that compromise can get you where you want to go. Compromise can get you where you want to go. And uh, the tragedy with this is, is that this, this one is one that the church and the Israelites have dealt with from the beginning. You remember Nehemiah in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, he was building, rebuilding the wall, and he had a plan, and he, and he had the provision. You know, I mean, the king had told him, you go back and build the wall then if that's what you want to do, and I'm, I'm with you. I'll help you be able to do it. When he got there and his adversaries realized they could not outright defeat him, they actually came with compromise, and they asked, invited Nehemiah. They said, come down, and we want to talk with you about this situation. We have some thoughts we'd like to share with you. So meet us in a valley of Ono, O-N-O. Meet us in the valley of Ono, and we'll go, we want to just want to talk to you about it. And here's what Nehemiah said, no. He said no. He said no to Ono, right? No to Ono. Because Ono is compromise. He knew what their plan was. And I, this is why I'm teaching this this morning. Part of what your faith will face this coming year is compromise, okay? Now, the issue with compromise is whatever it is we compromise to keep, we will eventually lose it. Because God is not involved in compromise. means that if this is the way God said it, then what compromise is is to say, take what God said and add to it. Okay? And I'm, I'm a firm believer. And there are a lot of Christians that are doing this today. They're taking what God said and they're adding to what God said. Okay? If that isn't what God said, I'm not going to add to it. I may suggest that the possibility, but I'm not adding to. Because the book of Revelation tells you, woe to him. I mean, people have made this about the translation of the Bible. But the truth is, if you're adding to the word of God, you're bringing yourself under judgment. And I don't care what prophet it is or who's out there teaching or what they're saying. When you start adding to what God has said. Don't say thus saith the Lord unless you know it's the Lord. You might, you'd be better off saying thus saith me. 
And I hope the Lord will back it up. Second Peter, Peter talks about this in chapter 2, verse 15. It said, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam and the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And so to this one really deals with the deceitfulness of riches. You know, the system that we're in, in our world, teaches us that hard work and lots of labor, and of course on Sundays for a lot of people, they give twice the amount of money if you work on Sundays. If you work through the weekend, they give you at least time and a half. So the world system is, if you will put in the time that others won't put in, if you work longer, you will increase, you'll have more wealth. It's a dis- but it's deceiving, okay? Number one, more wealth, the government's just going to get a third of that anyways, right? So, I mean, and maybe you'll get it in a tax return, but who knows, right? Who knows now? But here's the thing I want you to think about. Don't allow yourself to fall into that trap with your faith. That God only blesses you through the work that you do. Because God is not limited by what you do for a living. And that's deceiving. That's deceiving. And that's the deceitfulness of riches and it will choke the word in your life. Because you're going to be disappointed. If that's, if that's how we live our lives, we're going to get real, real disappointed. We can't compromise. The next thing we find, we're compromising our time with the Lord, you know, and we're t- compromising our prayer life, and then we're compromising our morals. We start compromising doing things that we normally wouldn't do. And look, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that that has never happened to me because it has happened to me. And it happens to everybody. But I'm warning us as we're looking at this that this is the way of Balaam is compromise. That I compromise my faith because I somehow think I'll get something in return for that. The truth is, is that when I stand on my faith, God will see to it that what I'm believing for will be taken care of. Amen. And I've talked with people before and they've said, well, I know that's what the Lord said, but. I know that's what God says, but, Pastor. I mean, come on, let's be real. I said, real is the word. I said, your but is going to get you into trouble. Look at your neighbor and go ahead and tell him your but is going to get you into trouble. So keep your butt away from trouble. What are you all thinking right now? I'm talking about the conjunction, but. Yeah. So what do we have to do? We have to realize that this compromise, and why I'm teaching this is because, look, covetousness, and then you're going to deal with this other one that's going to come. It's going to be compromise. Anything you compromise to keep, you will eventually, you'll lose it in your life. Stand firm. Look, do work hard. I believe in hard work. I, I'm a hard worker. I believe in absolutely working hard. I believe in doing what needs to be done. And there are some jobs that you do have to that are going to infiltrate into Sundays and Saturdays and your weekends. And, but make sure that you're taking time for the Lord in the midst of all of that. You can't, you can't compromise the whole thing. You've got to keep God first place in your life. Or 
you'll do exactly what the Ephesian church did, which we read the other night in chapter one. You'll lose your first love. You lose your passion and your purpose the further you get away from the, from, from, from the, the, the person or the thing for why you're, why you're in this. Marriages lose it. Families lose it. Jobs lose it. You just lose your passion about it. You won't be excited about it anymore. So that's a deceitfulness. Because riches can appear to us to be a form of security. Yes. A form of security. Now I'm going to make a statement. And if you're doing this, please don't take it personal, okay? Don't take it personal. If the United States economy collapses, buying gold is not going to help you. Okay? What will help you is a sack of potatoes. Now, you may be able to trade some gold for some potatoes, but if gold has no value in the economy, who's going to want the gold? And what are they going to do? You can't eat gold. Gold ain't going to help you live. It ain't going to buy you water. So when people start all this stuff that you hear on, and look, like I said, if you're doing this, please don't. You know, invest in gold, and I'm not, I'm not an investment guy, but I invest, but not in gold. Invest in the lasting riches, that which is endures. Don't allow the temporary stuff of this life to trap us. And we're not, you know, if you go to any good, wise investment counselor, and you, you say to them, well, should I be buying gold? I mean, somebody that's not in it for the business of selling gold, they will tell you, look, if the economy collapses, your gold will be of no value. Or silver. Or platinum. Because when people's bellies are empty, they're not thinking about making rings. Or necklaces. Wow. All right, moving along. So the last one he talks about is the rebellion of Korah. And this deals with control. Number 16.3. And they gathered together, this is Korah, against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And you know what? That's true. They all are holy. You're all, everybody was holy in that group. And the Lord is among them. And he was. Why do then you exalt yourselves against, above the assembly of the Lord? There's the problem. You know, Moses and Aaron never asked to be in the position they were in. They didn't go to God and say, I really would like to be the pastor of this outfit. They basically were told by God, this is what you're doing, right? I mean, God told Moses. God told Aaron. He, he said, you're going to pick Aaron. This is the guy I want to do that. Aaron's, you know, Aaron was a, uh, an idol maker that God used. But he, you know, he, he didn't, this wasn't what the assignment he asked for. And the thing is, is that in the midst of all of that, this Balaam, or excuse me, Korah and his group, they begin to rebel because they want control of what's going on. All right? And so it says in verse chapter 16 and verse 11, Therefore Moses said to them, and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. That this was God's plan. This is not your plan, not my plan. This was not contrived by men. This is God's plan. Okay? And what is Aaron that you complain against him? He didn't choose to do this job. Now, I realize this is an attack on leadership, but that's not what I believe this is really trying to convey to us. 
What this is trying to talk to about to us is, is that when we start getting into the place where we want to choose our own path instead of God's. Because that's what Korah did. He said, well, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to be in charge. And you shouldn't be in charge. Remember, there's that covetousness showing up. When we try to choose our own path instead of God's, we begin to stop honoring his sacredness. We begin to stop honoring who he is. And this goes back to your story. Look, your story is your story. Rejoice in your story. Rejoice in your story. But I don't make enough money. But I don't have all of my family straightened out. But I don't have all this. I don't, my health isn't that great. Look, rejoice in your story. Not that those are problems exist, but that faith is going to take you forward. And as long as we keep comparing and as long as we try to keep taking control, and remember this about control, control is an illusion. You never have control. You think, well, i got control right now. Well, you go ahead and keep telling yourself. You have no control over the weather. Right? You don't have no control over that. You have no control over that. You really, you could do all the right things with your vehicle. You could change the oil every, you know, couple thousand miles. You can keep the tires good. You can put, have it all maintenance and well taken care of. It could have 5,000 miles on it. It's a brand new vehicle and it still breaks down. You know why? Because you don't have control over it. There are things you do have control over, but you don't have control over what it will do by itself. You know, there's all these things that happen, I mean, in life, things that, that take place. And so in the midst of that, we want to we take control, right? We like to feel that, that feeling of everything's under my control. My money's under control. My health is under control. Uh, my kids are under control. My marriage is under I got it all where I want it to be. Well, do you really? You just think you do. And what we realize is, in the midst of that, is I look to God, the Lord, who will, make, who will work in my behalf. And that faith is really where my control is. It's through believing God for what He has said in His Word. Korah got into trouble because he just wanted to take control of what was happening. And... Uh, it says they were per- they perished. They were ruined. They, they lost everything because of that. Because of that. So those three things stand at the door of faith. The first one that we deal with is the way of Cain. Talks about it here in Jude. The way of Cain. Covetousness. Wanting what others have. The second is the error of Balaam. A big mistake that he made. Because he thought that he was getting reward out of it, so he thought it was okay to compromise what he was doing. And the third thing is the rebellion of Korah. And that's where we are wanting to take control and saying, God, I'm taking control. We used to sing a song years ago, Lord, take control, take control, right? Well, God gives us control through his word. He tells us what is, you know, that's the confidence we have in him. If we know what his will is, then we know. So confidence, we, we can pretty much be rest that it's going to be okay, right? God's with me. God's helping me. God's power and presence are with me. I'm going to get through this. No matter what I'm going through, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
And I'm with you even to the end of the age. Okay? That not only means the end of the age of, of time, it also means I'm at the end with you to the end of your age. Amen. So, control. So there's this game we used to play. I don't know that we intentionally played it. But it was, how far can you go on empty? <laughs> Any of you done it? Yeah. Okay. Look there at the gas gauge, and there it is, down there at the bottom. Now, I've, I've been known to pull the manual out just to see how many gallons it says that I actually have when I'm down to E. And really, if, now if it was a money issue, that would be one thing. But, but it's not really a money issue, because I got the money. But I look down there, and I see it down there near the E, and I'm thinking, well, I surely got, and then now they, it's cool because now you've got all those computerized things, so you push a button and it says, here's distance to empty. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> if you can believe it, right? Because you don't know that's right. Same distance, it's calculating. And uh, so you look and it says, oh, 54 miles left. I'm in great shape. I only got to go 15. You're playing how far can I go on empty. Now, if you don't have the money, that's a different issue. But if you have the money, why don't you just go fill it up? Right? So you're playing a game. You're thinking, I'm in control. I'm running the show. You're not in control. I, I don't care what it says. I don't care what that game says. I got enough in there to get where I need to go. The problem with that, the problem with that is it doesn't work. That's right. And eventually, you miss it. And, it, and you break down on the side of the road. Now guess what you gotta do? Look for friends, right? You gotta call somebody that's got a gas tank. Or you gotta walk a long way to carry the gas tank. I still remember. I still remember, I had our kids in the vehicle, we were on the turnpike in Ohio, going to, um, to Akron, and uh, I looked down at the gas tank and I said, Sharon, we're gonna be just fine. She says, you better stop and get gassy. And I said, no, no, we got plenty, we'll be okay, we can get to the next station. And uh, <laughs> one mile away from the station, I had my three babies in the vehicle, it's at night, and we ran out of gas. And you know, nothing is worse, nothing is worse than running out of gas with someone that told you you're gonna run out of gas. <laughs> Would you all agree with that? That even, makes it, that even makes it much more horrible. You're just like, please, I don't need this right now, right? But, but whose fault is it? It's mine. So my question is, are you doing that spiritually? Are you doing that in your spiritual life? Because, see, you can't play around the slippery creek bank very long without falling in. Eventually it gets you. And uh, that's true with good things and with bad things. And when we allow that way of Cain or that heir of Balaam or we allow that rebellion of Korah to try to work in our lives, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust for other things, the care of the world, we're close to the bank. And if we don't watch out, we're going to fall in it. And it's going to stop our faith. Stand up with me if you would.
I'm going to close this out, Dakota, this way, if that's all right. Okay. Close your eyes with me just for a moment, if you would. I just want you in your own heart, I want you to, to, to ask yourself the question, have I begun to compromise in my life? Are there things I'm compromising? And I know what the right thing to do is, but I'm compromising it. Are there things that I'm coveting? Do I really look at other people and think, everybody has it better than me? Or, I'll have a good life when I have what they have. Am I trying to take control of my life instead of turning that control over to the Lord? Do I feel somehow that I can manage my own story and God should just come alongside that instead of saying, God, you write the story and I'll come alongside you. And I'm just going to ask all over the building more heads are bowed and eyes are closed and just if you're saying, Pastor, that's me. I'm, look, I'm struggling right now. And uh, I, I just want you to, if you would, just pray with me over this situation. I'm going to ask you right now if you just lift your hand up into heaven right now. All over the building. Go ahead. Just lift it up. Father, you see these hands that are lifted up. And Lord, I ask you right now by your Holy Spirit to meet them. Lord, as they, to meet them in the sincerity of their heart, Lord God, that they don't want to follow that. They don't want to let that work in their life. Pulling them away from the faith that they know they can have and the door that they know you want them to walk through, Lord God. Father, I just pray right now that, Lord, as we stand before you, we repent, Lord God. We turn away from the way of Cain, of coveting what others have, Lord God. Lord, we, we, we turn away, we repent of the, the, the error of Balaam that's thinking somehow that this, the riches of life, Lord God, will provide comfort. So we compromise to get that. Lord, the, the rebellion that Korah had where, Lord, they didn't want your plan. They wanted their own plan. And Father, I just pray right now as we repent and turn from that, Lord, that the peace that passes all understanding would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I thank you for that, Lord God. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'll come. and I'm just going to close out the service this way this morning. Go ahead, prayer team, if you want to come up. Look, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of healing. And I also believe in the power of laying on of hands. If you're tired and weary and struggling, or you just need to talk with somebody about a situation that's going on in your life, that's what these guys are here for. And they want to be a part of your life. So you come up as we close today in Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a great day today.